just imagine. The mightiest heroes of our time. Superman. Batman. Flash. Green Lantern. Wonder Woman. Hot Girl. John Jones, Manhunter from Mars. Have banded together as the Justice League to stamp out the forces of evil wherever and whenever they appear. The Fire and Water Podcast Network proudly presents... JLU Cast. and welcome to JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, covering the animated adventures of the Justice League and their eventual evolution into Justice League Unlimited. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I'm Chris Franklin, and today we're covering the 10th two-parter from Justice League Season 2, Secret Society. Comic fans know that as the name of an organized group of supervillains, and it's our second such team on the series... We covered the history of DC's supervillain teams, including the Secret Society, in the episode covering the Injustice Gang episode, Injustice for All. So we thought we'd focus on one of the Society members making her DCAU debut in these episodes, but one who has perhaps had more success in other media than she did in the comics, Giganta. Watchtower Files. Giganta was introduced in Wonder Woman number 9, Summer 1944, by Wonder Woman co-creators William Moulton Marston, and H.G. Peter. She was a red-haired, leopard-skirt-wearing strongwoman mutated to a human from ape by a scientist named Professor Zool. Giganta is subdued and taken to Paradise Island for rehabilitation, but it doesn't stick, and she joins one of the earliest supervillain teams, Villainy Incorporated, in Wonder Woman number 28, which was from March-April 1948. These stories were eventually considered part of the Earth-2 Wonder Woman's history, and so Giganta eventually got a Silver Age reboot on Earth-1. In issue number 163, writer Robert Kenner and artist Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito reintroduced Giganta as an ape hypnotized by Dr. Psycho into loving Steve Trevor. After Wonder Woman defeated her, she was then experimented on by Dr. Zool, who turned her into a Trevor-obsessed strongwoman, this time with blonde hair but with a similar leopard fashion sense. Giganta made one more proper Earth-1 appearance in Wonder Woman number 168, then vanished from the comics for decades, with one exception we'll get to in a bit. But she wasn't forgotten, thanks to being selected to join the Legion of Doom on the Challenge of the Super Friends animated series, debuting on September 9th, 1978. Voiced by Ruth Foreman, this version of Giganta lived up to her name and could grow to colossal proportions, no doubt inspired by the 1958 cult classic sci-fi film Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Her appearance recalled the original red-headed H.G. Peter design. Giganta was considered not so much a Wonder Woman foe, but more the enemy of Hanna-Barbera-created super friend Apache Chief. The episode History of Doom revealed the very human Giganta received her size-changing abilities from the same magic powder as Apache Chief. Giganta appeared a few times in later seasons of the Super Friends series, but most interesting for this discussion is her appearance in the Super Friends comic series, in issue number 30, March 1980. There, a struck Giganta, closer to her early comic persona and Golden Age appearance, pined for the love of Gorilla Grodd, who found her human form revolting. The two set about trying to turn Earth's population into apes, something that will come up later in JLU. Giganta made one more memorable appearance in the Bronze Age, no doubt inspired by her Super Friends appearance. He was one of a handful of villains portrayed for the first time in live action in the infamous 1979 Legends of the Superhero special, portrayed by pioneering trans actress Alicia Brevard. In the second special, The Roast, she is shown to be dating the Atom. 
Diana made a very belated post-crisis return in Wonder Woman Volume 2, number 126, in October of 1997, courtesy of writer-artist John Byrne. This Giganta was scientist Doris Zuhl, who, attempting to escape a fatal blood disorder, planned to place her essence in Wonder Woman's body. Instead, Wonder Girl interrupted the process, and Zuhl found her soul trapped in the body of a test-subject gorilla named Giganta. The simian Zul later abducted a shape-changing strong woman named Olga and transferred her mind into her body, keeping the name Giganta. Phew! <laughs> the new 52 version of Giganta kept the name Doris Zul and the fatal blood disorder, but skipped the monkey business and had Zul's curative experiments give her size-changing abilities. Giganta continues to bedevil Wonder Woman in the comics and has made other media appearances on Batman the Brave and the Bold, in the various direct-to-DVD DC animated films, and even DC superhero girls. So, let's jump into the episode we're talking about proper. Secret Society, the two-parter, originally aired November 22nd, 2003. It was written by Stan Berkowitz, directed by Dan Ribba, with music by Michael McQuistian. In our voice cast, we have, of course, Kevin Conroy as Batman, Maria Canals as Hawkgirl, Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman, Phil Lamar as Green Lantern, Carl Lumbly, who is killing it on The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, watch that show, as John Jones, George Newbern as Superman, Michael Rosenbaum as The Flash, Powers Booth as Grodd, Ron Perlman as Clayface, Ted Levine as Sinestro, Brian George as Parasite, Stephen McHattie as The Shade, and Jennifer Hale as Giganta and Killer Frost. Green Lantern and John Jones respond to a robbery at Prime Tech Labs. Although they stop the Shade from stealing a valuable microchip, they fumble into each other, and he manages to escape. I got him! You should have held back. I had him. I'm not the mind reader, am I? Neither party notices a floating camera drone observing their actions. Shade runs through an alley, but is stopped by the open door of a large SUV and a rather tall woman inside. She offers him a ride, and the smitten shade obliges. The name's Giganta. Appropriate. It's not a problem for you, is it? Quite the opposite. Giganta drives out into the mountains, and actually through one, much to Shade's exasperation. Inside, he sees other known supercriminals practicing their powers, Sinestro, Parasite, and Killer Frost. Shade thinks someone is rebuilding the Injustice Gang, and after two failed attempts, he wants no part of it but he hasn't been on a team led by Gorilla Grodd. Now I get it. You're trying to set up another Injustice Gang, aren't you? We call it a society. A secret society. Call it what you want. It won't work. I know. I've tried. Twice. What's that old saying? The third time's the charm. At the attempted robbery site, John fields questions from the press, but Green Lantern breaks it up as the two head off to rendezvous with the rest of the League, again oblivious to the camera drone. Green Lantern proposes the heroes refine their rusty teamwork with some good old-fashioned practice. Batman is less than thrilled with the notion, of course. Elsewhere, the secret society is practicing some trust exercises. Grodd explains that each of the members have their own personal motivations for working as a team. Sinestro's sworn a blood oath against all Green Lanterns. Parasite simply hates Superman. Giganta's totally devoted to me. What about the other one? Killer Frost? She just likes to kill. And me? I suppose you got that figured out too. You're a master criminal, Shade. 
you could be a master of the world. I've tried. I'll settle for where I am now. How are you going to feel in ten years? When you're still being chased around warehouses and rooftops, joints aching, lungs burning? This is a chance to rid ourselves of the League once and for all. To see how far we can go when there's no one in our way. And he explains that they can achieve their goal of defeating the Justice League by simply watching television. Rod observes the League's teamwork training in a southwestern ghost town. Superman blasts cardboard effigies of his enemies with his heat vision, and Jean appears and halts him before he zaps the facade of an innocent young girl. Unfortunately, Hot Girl doesn't heed her teammates and smacks an attacking robot with her mace, which explodes and sends her landing on her face. GL admonishes her for not relying on her teammates' abilities. It was booby-trapped. How was I supposed to... Either of your partners could have told you. One psychic and the others got x-ray vision. You're right. Good lesson. Can I go now? Go? We're just getting started. Giganta learns a similar lesson when the Secret Society attempts to infiltrate the island stronghold of billionaire collector Morgan Edge. Her brute strength can't penetrate the huge electrified fortress walls, but the combined powers of Killer Frost and Sinestro can. Back out west, Batman, Flash, and Wonder Woman take out an army of attacking robots, but Batman hogs all the glory, just like any other DC storyline from 1986 onward, much to the ire of his teammates. He tells Green Lantern not to call him again until it's important and jets off in the Batwing. Meanwhile, the secret society is acting like a well-oiled machine, laying waste to Morgan Edge's well-funded private army. As the mansion staff flees for their lives, a particular chef makes his way to the pier in a waving motorboat. Killer Frost freezes the ocean underneath the speeding boat, and Sinestro brings him back to shore. Grodd knows that the man in the expensive alligator loafers is no mere chef, but he is Morgan Edge himself. He uses his force of mind power to torture Edge into revealing the whereabouts of some mysterious canisters hidden in his mansion. Gigana dumps the canisters, seemingly filled with mud, but containing, oh, so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the final member of our secret society, Clayface. The League continues to train, with Superman smashing a giant fighting construct Green Lantern created. When the other Leaguers complain about how they could have lent a hand, Superman lets slip how he feels about his less-than-invulnerable teammates being in harm's way. Impressive. Thanks. But did you really need to take all that abuse? I could have used my mace on it if you'd given me a chance. And it never would have been able to lay a glove on me. When have I heard that before? Hey! They're making a good point. You've got to trust your partners. I do, but the fact is, I'm the invulnerable one. Every punch I take is a punch they don't have to. Are you saying we can't cut it? That's what it sounds like to me. Now hold on. We're a team. But we're not all equal. You can't deny that everybody, knock it off. We're going to keep doing this till we get it right. In the Batwing, Batman hears a news broadcast about the siege at Edge's Island and those empty canisters. In the Secret Society base, Clayface wonders what kind of person would keep him locked in separate canisters like that, but Killer Frost assures him no one will have to worry about him anymore. Clayface admits he has no desire to be a supervillain. He just wants to be cured. But Grodd assures him he can have power and his humanity back. I'm grateful to you, don't get me wrong. But I'm not really one of you. See, all I want is to be normal again. And give up all your power? I can offer you the best of both worlds. Yeah, right. This is Giganta. She was a lovely child, don't you think? 
He shows the mud monster a photo of Giganta as a young ape and convinces Clayface there is a place for him in the society. If I could do that for her, think what I can do for you. At a hospital near Edge's Island, Batman questions one of Edge's injured guards and learns that Shade was involved in the attack. Sometime later, Batman tracks Clayface to the only facility on Earth with the materials he needs for a cure. He disables the muck monster with an electrified batarang, but the society comes to his aid. Luckily, Batman brought backup of his own, and the hero and villain teams meet in battle. But the League continues to fail the teamwork test. Wonder Woman and Hawk Girl both rush Giganta and get swatted. When Grodd, hidden in the shadow, uses his force of mind power to disrupt Green Lantern's concentration, Sinestro knocks him to the floor. Hot Girl runs to his side but leaves Wonder Woman vulnerable to another Giganta attack. The League continues to either work alone or get in each other's way, letting the villains triumph. Grodd calls them away, and as they fly off in his ship, Parasite questions why they would cut and run when they had the advantage. Grodd says a warehouse was too small a stage for their victory. The League picks themselves up and blame each other for their failure. It was seven to six. We had the advantage. Where'd you go? I was counting on you. Lantern was hurt. And I recall you saying that you could take her. So much for practice makes perfect. I thought we were practicing teamwork. Not one guy tells everybody else what to do. Somebody has to be in charge, and it couldn't very well be you. You know, I'm getting really sick of... Will you both shut up? I've had better luck handling whole armies. And you know why? Because I didn't have to worry about anyone but myself. Then why don't you go back to that? You think I haven't considered it? This whole stinking group was your idea, and now you don't want to do it anymore? You men. Unless you do it on your own, it doesn't count. It's not just the men you stuck up- Stop it! Stop it right now! I arrived here, not knowing a soul, and you took me in. You became my new family. But what's the use of a family if it diminishes us as individuals? What? What are you- I'm saying I survived the loss of one family. And I'll survive this one, too. Jean interrupts the fracas by saying he survived the end of one family and he can survive another. He departs, and the others follow, each going their own way. To be continued. There's a cute bit at the beginning when Jean... Uh, correctly guesses that Shade is the one who Green Lantern is talking about robbing Prime Tech. Then he says, I keep forgetting. That would be weird, knowing someone could just randomly read your mind when they wanted to. Uh I mean, you know, (laughs) I don't think that's... Yeah, it's like, hmm, privacy, dude, privacy. But really, why didn't Jean read Green Lantern's mind to avoid them bumping into one another? Was it Grodd? Well, I mean, you know, you don't know when uh, when he was using his powers and all. So. Right, right. Um, I think Shade likes his gals big, don't you? He's got a type. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is it a problem? He's like, quite the opposite or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Giganta is voiced by Jennifer Hale, who played Enza recently on the series and also voices Killer Frost in these episodes. She will go on to play Zatanna in JLU and has tons of voiceover credits, including being Disney's go-to voice for Cinderella for the past 20 years or so. Uh, and her license plate as Giganta reads, Big Boned. Yes, there you go. 
Uh, the bit where Gigana drives into the mountainside and Shade freaks out is very similar to the scene in Batman 89 with Vicky Vale. Mm. Vicky Vale. Vicky Vale. Mm. So I thought that was cute. Uh, Buffalo Bill himself, Ted Levine, returns as Sinestro from Superman the Animated Series. Uh, yeah, that never fails to creep me out. So Yeah, puts the lotion on its skin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Stephen McHattie reprises his role of the Shade, but he also played Hollis Mason in Zack Snyder's Watchmen, so he has other DC character cred. Powers Booth brings his powerful smoothness back to Garod, playing him again, but I will always think of him first as Curly Bill Brosis from Tombstone. <laughs> Got you caught in a little crossfire. Parasite here is voiced by Brian George, uh, not the original actor from Superman the Animated Series. Uh, Brian George is known to many as Raj's father on The Big Bang Theory. Oh. So Dr. Kuthrapali. Kuthrapali. Kuthrapali, yeah, Dr. Kuthrapali. But he also voiced Alfred in Batman the Killing Joke and in the Batman vs. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated movie. There you go. Yeah, so he's been playing Alfred quite a bit. Uh, we should point out that this is the first appearance of Killer Frost in media outside the comics, and she is, again, voiced by Jennifer Hale as well. Her presence here and the lack of her foe Firestorm will lead to her becoming undoubtedly more popular across media, thanks mostly to Daniel Panabaker's portrayal of a version of Killer Frost on The Flash. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, Shag. More people know Killer Frost than they know Firestorm. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Do you miss Gigana's leopard print look? Yeah, you know, it's to me that's nostalgia, you know, the eighties, super friends is what I think about this. I like you know. Yeah, she's kind of dressed like a pink themed go go dancer here. Oh well. Yeah, it's kind of a yeah, she's very girly. Yeah. Whereas the Gigana's usually, you know, very brutish and you know she's you know, very strong woman type, you know, but yeah, she's very Gigana here is very girly. Green Lantern, when they're, uh, you know, he breaks up that press conference that John's, John's giving. He says, I hate that hero worship crap, showing he has no time for the press. It's no wonder he and Batman get along so well in later seasons of the show. Oh, yeah, they, they have a lot of similarities. There. Yeah, yeah. What's the problem? Us. We're not working together as well as we could. Come on, we're batting close to a thousand. A lot of that's been luck. We've taken some pretty bad hits along the way. What are you suggesting? Practice. Oh, it's that or more of what happened to us tonight. What do we really have to lose? Time. A little more teamwork wouldn't hurt any of us. Looks like you're outvoted. Uh, but I do wonder why Batman didn't just pull the I'm not really a member card and walk away from this when Green Lantern suggested that they practice. I mean, why do you, why do you think he decided to go along with it even begrudgingly? Because that gives him more knowledge of what they're capable of and what they can do. Adding to those dossiers, man. <laughs> yeah, could I be. mean, seriously, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, the trust exercise bit with the society is funny. Gigana warns Frost, I'm a bit heavier than I look. And then you don't see them again while Grodd's talking to Shade, but you just hear a thud and Frost saying, ow. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was cute. So where did this Old West town come from? Is it a real ghost town? It looks like it's set in the canyons of the West. So is it, I mean, the old, the signs are all beat up and worn. Oh, I thought, I think it's just like an old abandoned, you know, like 
uh, tourist attractions. There's a tourist attraction, yeah. like an amusement park. Yeah, like a, something like, like that. Like we used to have Guntown Mountain that, around I was here. trying to sit here trying to think of the name of it. Yeah, yeah. we used to have Guntown Mountain up around, uh, was it around Cumberland Falls or Mammoth Cave? Around one of the two. I think it was yeah. around Mammoth Cave, yeah, yeah. Uh, Superman zaps cardboard cutouts of Darkseid, Lex Luthor in his power armor, Brainiac, and Mr. Mixus Pidlick, who is giving him a raspberry. And I believe this is the only time we see Mixie on JL, JLU. And man, that's a shame. That would have been a fun episode. Yeah. To have, you know, Gilbert Godfrey's Mr. and Mrs. Pidlick mm-hmm. on here. That I mean, he, he appeared on the Super Friends a lot. Right. Which is where most people call him Mixelplick, because that's the way they pronounced it. But, because um, they simplified it. But yeah, that's, that's a missed opportunity to not have Mitch's Pidlick on here. Especially when you got into JLU and they could uh-huh. do the just half-hour story. So, uh, The robots they practice with look exactly like the early version of Zeta seen in the Batman uh-huh. Beyond episode Zeta, which will later spin off into its own series, The Zeta Project, probably the most obscure series set in the DCAU. I have not even ever watched all of The Zeta Project. No, uh-uh. So, we watched like a couple episodes. The ones with Batman Beyond in Exactly. Them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I know a lot of people are big fans of them. I've just never got into it. Got yeah. into it. So one of these days I'll have to. Okay, obviously Superman can see through the robot to find the explosive. But what good does psychic abilities do on a robot? Because think about that. He, you know, the robot explodes when Hot Girl, you know, goes to hit it with her mace. She hits it with her mace and explodes. And they're like, no, you know, and she does it. Okay. Superman could see the explosive, but how could Jean know that it was explosive? True. How can he read a robot's mind? <laughs> I mean, you know, there's the absence of, you know, that's the only thing he'd be able to figure out. Yeah, you know? yeah, so, yeah. So, when Gigana grows for the first time and tries to attack the fortress wall on Edge's Island, Shade says, this just gets better and better. Is it because he has a giant woman fetish, which is a thing, just ask the folks at AC Comics in the Fem Force series, uh, or because he can see up her skirt or both. <laughs> I'm not. I, next thing. I'm just. I mean, I, knowing that these guys are a lot of these guys working on this show. I mean, okay, Bruce Tim's a horn dog. Okay, he wouldn't put out a book like he did if he wasn't a horn dog. Mm. So I mean, he likes the female form. Okay, so I'm just that gag means one or the other. So what do you think? No. <laughs> uh, one shot we see of Gigana is looking right down on her chest, which is pretty gratuitous for a kid's cartoon with a toy line, but again, horn, right. horn dogs. Uh, wouldn't Killer Frost uh, be fried when she shot ice, frozen water, at that electrified wall? It depends on if it connects, you know, it would it connect it back to her? I mean, she... It was, you know, she was still connected to it yeah. when she was doing it because she's all, she's pretty much an evil version of Iceman, you know, yeah. so. So Batman did eventually pull the I'm too busy for this card. I know Flash and Wonder Woman were miffed, but wasn't the intent of the practices for the teammates to have each other's back? I mean, I know Batman took the robots out for right. them, but isn't that kind of what they're supposed to do mm-hmm. to work together and watch out for each other? So. I don't know. I mean, I know I understand they got their feelings hurt, but at the same time, he was doing what they were right out there for. So, the animation in this episode is a bit off model, particularly on Flash and Green Lantern in places. But man, Edge's CGI helicopters look particularly rough. Did you mm-hmm. catch that? I, it was, you know, it's not the more one of the more fluid episodes. Well, they, the design of it. I mean, 
part of it might be the design of it's very simple. They basically look like flying triangles. Mm. I mean, it's it's yeah. It, it they use a lot of CGI on vehicles and mix it in with 2D animation on here, but it really jumped out here. So uh, the society's teamwork is actually really impressive. For instance, Shade blacks out the window of one of the helicopters, and when it clears, the pilot is looking right at Gigana, who punches it to the ground. Right. So it's like, yeah, man, they've they've got it. They've got their act together. So, what did you think about Grodd having to tell Killer Frost? The water, only the water, when she was going to stop Edge in the motorboat. It goes to show those other guys she froze, they're more than likely yeah. dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. She, you can tell, I mean, there's a reason her name is Killer Frost. Well, it even says the only thing she just wants to kill. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they play right into it. Um, so this is Which I think was kind of dark for a kid's cartoon. Again, you know? yeah, and I mean, we'll get to a scene later that's that's actually pretty dark. Uh, so this is Morgan Edge, uh, who is currently the evil billionaire type on the Superman and Lois TV series. But in the comics, once owned the Daily Planet, uh, as he does on that show, along with Galaxy Communications and the Galaxy Broadcasting System, which Clark Kent worked for during the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. And he was intended to actually be an agent of Darkseid and was portrayed as such in Jack Kirby's Fourth World comics. But once those titles were canceled... Other creators retconned his evilness away. Mm. But there's still that base there. And Edge was also voiced by Brian George of Big Bang Theory. So So Grodd pushes Edge out of the way. The others enter. And Killer Frost looks back at them and then Edge. And then she later confirms she killed Morgan Edge. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's not, there's not a doubt. <laughs> I mean, when she tells Clayface later, it's like, you won't have to worry. Nobody has to worry about him anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so no more Morgan Edge in the DCAU. He had a very brief run, mm-hmm. despite being fairly important in the comics and everything and in other media. I remember being really surprised to see Clayface back uh, in the DCAU, it's a pretty deep cut into the Batman bench, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not like one of the first villains you think of, right. you know, for Batman. Uh, unfortunately, after this season, we wouldn't get hardly any Bat villains or supporting characters thanks to basically the Batman at cartoon. I mean, there were other factors. There was that Bruce Wayne series they were trying to develop. There were the movies, but it was basically the Batman. So, right. Yeah. Green Lantern makes a living giant out of his ring to fight Superman. I mean, that is a serious upgrade from his usual bubble, right. you know, shield and bubble. Green Lantern asks Superman, did you really need to take all that abuse? This is yet another nod to, yes, we made Superman wimpy in season one. Sorry. Right. You know, it's like Superman just lets people beat on him till he doesn't, you know, basically. Yeah. Rhythm out still. He's like, okay, that's enough, you know. It's like, you know, when you're, you know, like a bunch of kids, like, go to play and, like, tackle you. Like, I used to, like, go down to my grandparents and my cousins would just, like, tackle me and just, like, they thought it was fun to just beat the crud out of me and, you know, wrestle with me and stuff. And I just laid there and let them do it. And after a while, I'm like, okay, okay, that's enough. That's enough. Back off. Yeah. It's it's pretty much the same thing. (laughs) So, speaking of Superman, his I'm unvulnerable reveal, is that super dickery or is he just being realistic? Being realistic. He's like, it's the way it is, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I don't. Th- I don't think it's you know. You could have said it in a nicer way, but they are being pushed. We'll find yes. out. Now we don't know that yet. We just ruined. Sorry, spoiler warning. There's some manipulation going on, uh, but um, but yeah. So, uh, Flash's criticism of should have used your heat vision. 
that may have been inspired by keyboard warriors complaining about the creator's use of Superman's powers. Mm-hmm. And, and which ones he used. Yeah, and, and honestly, we do that too. So. Yeah. <laughs> so we found out that Gigana was an ape, mm-hmm. and apparently she was from Gorilla City, because I looked, you're like, well, you think she was from Gorilla City? The background of that. That's what I said, you know. the, the yeah. futuristic buildings and stuff. So, yeah, so she already had human intelligence level yes you know in this universe so she was a that makes that actually makes more sense yeah that you know that you know he was able to just basically change her body her mind didn't really have to change Change, much yeah what do you think about shade's reaction to this news okay yeah he's like looked at her and she's eating a banana and she just kind of looks back at him and he's like "Eh." he shrugs and like Like, hey, she looks good now. I, you know. <laughs> we get Ron Perlman returning as Clayface. Uh, Perlman is best known for the Hellboy films and Sons of Anarchy, but when Batman Animated Series debuted, when he first played Clayface, of course, I knew him from one of my mom's favorite shows, Beauty and the Beast, uh, where he played Vincent, the, right. the Beast. He's also voicing Slade, a.k.a. Deathstroke, although they couldn't call him that, uh, on Teen Titans, the animated series around this time. And, uh, but next, they can apparently say Killer Frost. That's true, yeah. But I think Teen Titans was like a little more geared to, a, little a little younger, younger. A little younger, yeah. Yeah. It definitely, Justice League usually aired later in like in the evenings, mm. and Teen Titans aired like throughout the day, you mm. know. Although Teen okay. Titans got pretty dark. I mean, they had a freaking storyline about the end of the world with Trigon and stuff, and the whole Terra thing and yeah. all that. So, I mean, Slade did come back as a freaking zombie that was possessed by Trigon. So, yeah. So, yeah. In theory, it was, but it really wasn't. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So, speaking of which, we'll have more of a Teen Titans connection in our next episode. So, so if Batman knows about the materials Clayface needs for a cure, why doesn't he cure him? Exactly. <laughs> Never have understood that. In that one episode, you know, he's almost cured and Batman just stops it. The mudslide. Yeah. That is the, that is, it's frankly out of character that Batman, like, just botches it at the last minute. I mean, go arrest human Matt Hagen into the, I mean, it'll take you, like, literally two seconds to subdue that guy and send him to prison, make him pay for his crimes. Yeah. You know, or just let him walk away, you know, whatever you think you need to do, but it's kind of the same thing here, yeah, so. You didn't think I'd come here without reinforcements, did you? Wish I'd thought of that. Oh, wait. I did. I do like his bit. It's like, you know, when he's like, oh, wait, I did. About bringing the, you know, Other backup. Team. Yeah. yeah, backup team. <laughs> yeah, and he gets this smile on his face. Uh, another cool thing, flash sliding down Shade's shadow uh, beam is a cool bit. And, and I believe that gets used in the credits at some point. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. Of course, you knew the league was going to get beaten here, but they got their asses handed to them. I mean... They should be glad the society ran right. away. But again, they were doing teamwork, you know, yeah. versus the league, you know, so. Yeah. So again, Superman, you know, he's he's laying it out again. Is it is, is super dickery or is, he, is he, or is he still just being real realistic and at this point? Again, and I mean, it comes down to what we find out later, but this is something that he honestly thinks, but he's usually too nice to, to say to say it yeah yeah, yeah. uh ma told me if i can't see nothing nice don't see nothing at all type thing yeah yeah uh but jean 
he kind of jumped to a very rash decision here, I yep. think. Uh, I mean, we'll find out more later. But, I mean, Batman didn't even get a chance to drop the mic first. Right. I mean, John's like, you know, just, I'm gone, you know, the hell with you all, basically. Uh, you know, maybe some of this will be explained a bit in part two. We've already said it would. Uh, because right now, honestly, if you don't know that, the end seems a bit forced uh-huh. in part one. Right. It really does. Uh, sure, they are sore at each other, but to disband over this seems a little much. But right. let's jump into part two. The least he could have done was put up some bail for us. All Shade cares about is Shade. We'd still be in the joint if it hadn't been for your mom. How's she going to pay back all that money? Eh, she'll just have to keep dancing for a few more years. Sounds like Shade isn't too popular with you either. Tell me where he is and I'll see that he gets what's coming to him. You want Shade? That's what I said. Go look under a tree. (laughs) Flash greets some of Shade's sprung gang members at a local night spot. They refuse to tell him where they can find their former employer. Through Grodd's spy drone, the secret society observes this. Grodd reveals he used the new mental abilities he received after his last battle with the Flash to push the League's already aggravated moods with each other to a breaking point. Now they can finish them. Aha. Flash continues the Batman shtick by hanging one of Shade's goons off the roof of a tall building. He's no Dark Knight, but he manages to get a confession out of the guy after he actually drops him and then catches him at super speed. He races to the place the Stooley told him about, an abandoned subway station, and finds Sinestro waiting for him. Flash has the advantage at first, but the Rogue Lantern eventually begins to overcome him with his ring. Flash makes a call to Batman for help, But although the Dark Knight acts like he's reluctant at first, he does respond. When he arrives, he finds Flash has already subdued Sinestro. So Batman shoots the Scarlet Speedster through the chest with his grapple gun. And then electrifies him, revealing him to be Clayface in disguise. Looks like I didn't need you after all, yo. But you can help me tie him up. Catch. Ah! The real Flash would have been too fast for that. You overplayed your part, yo. Everyone's a critic. Batman temporarily subdues an attacking Sinestro, but then Grodd and the others appear. Elsewhere, Green Lantern vents to Hot Girl his frustration about the Leaguers walking away. She lays the blame at his feet, saying he pushed everyone away by forcing them to shed their individuality to become marching soldiers. She flies off in a huff, and Green Lantern finally notices the spy drone and disables it with his ring. He then uses his league earpiece to tap into the signal it's broadcasting and to trace it to its source. Hawk Girl receives a call from Green Lantern and flies to the practice range. There, she finds Superman, Wonder Woman, and Jean. They quickly realize they all receive the call from different leaguers and are soon under attack from the range's weapons. Superman tells everyone to get out of the way as he sweeps the robots with his heat vision, but Hawk Girl gets winged, pun intended. Out of the way! Everybody! I told you to get out of the way! Parasite then leaps on the Man of Steel to zap his strength, and the rest of the society make their presence known, attacking the heroes. Superman answers a call from Jean for help, only to find out it's Clayface in disguise. He and the real Jean duke it out while the fight continues, with Parasite leeching Superman unconscious before moving on to Wonder Woman. Killer Frost takes down Hot Girl. Giganta crushes the recovering Superman under her enormous heels, while Clayface continues to battle Jean using his appearance. 
Clayface then orders Killer Frost to freeze him, and the Martian is encased in ice. All the leaguers are now accounted for, except for Green Lantern. Back at the Society HQ, Clayface suggests they not go with the tried tropes from his old spy movies of letting their enemies escape and kill the leaguers now. Frost tells him their deaths must be part of a grand spectacle. Green Lantern is hiding in the rocks above and overhears Giganta mention Grodd's mental manipulations. But Grodd hears Green Lantern's thoughts as well and calls him out. He goes on the offensive and sends the villains after a ring-created decoy as he attempts to free his friends. But Clayface overpowers him in a deluge of mud, knocking him out cold. The Society has completed their Justice League set. Collect them all! <laughs> Later at Gotham Stadium, the Ultra Bowl... Hmm. Halftime show is interrupted by the arrival of Grodd's ship, which blows the pop singer off the stage before it lands on it. The society members arise and Grodd monologues to the crowd about the typical supervillain New World Order, but he brought a halftime show of his own, the death of the Justice League. The team's canister prisons arise from the ship, and Grodd gives Clayface the order to flip the switch and murder them before millions. There they are. Your heroes, who violate every law of nature by coddling the weak and powerless. We say it's time for a new order, but it can't arise until the old one departs. Ready for your close-up, Mr. Hagen? Tricked us. You froze the wrong one. But Clayface instead smashes the controls and reveals he has been John Jones all along. But Grodd isn't disappointed. He's quite content for his team to defeat the League in front of such a massive audience. Green Lantern warns his teammates that they've all been manipulated by Grodd as the two teams size each other up and then charge into battle. A melee for the ages ensues. The League uses teamwork this time, so the groups are evenly matched, but Grodd keeps throwing in a monkey wrench, <laughs> using his force of mind to knock the heroes off balance long enough to be taken out, if only temporarily. The League rebounds, and working together, take the villains down one by one. Superman and Wonder Woman take out Gigana. Batman and Superman handle Shade, etc. Clayface arises, and Flash responds by filling his body full of pyrotechnics to be used for the game, while Hot Girl lights the wicks with her mace. Clayface's body explodes in a hail of fireworks as the crowd goes wild. But Grodd is still on the loose. He tries to appeal to Superman's superior standing, but when that fails, he blasts the Man of Steel with his mind. Superman responds by flicking him in the head and sending the ape flying through the goalpost like a paper football. That's a wrap. Just about. There's still a chance for us, you know. What are you talking about? We're the superior ones, you and I. We should be running the world. I don't think so. Pity. You had your chance. Now you can feel the pain. I felt worse. Oh. things were said yeah but that was all mind control we didn't mean we meant every word 
Flash is glad the team is back in fighting shape, but the others aren't so sure. So what do we do? All we can do is say we're sorry and move on. Everything they said was what they were thinking, even if it was at the back of their minds. Green Lantern puts things in perspective as they walk off the field to the sound of the roaring crowd. Okay, so <laughs> we open up with these two guys that that this shade that had worked for the shade walking out of this. It's a strip club. Okay, they can't say that, but it's a strip club. And the guy says, "How's your mom going to pay back all that money? She'll just have to keep dancing for a few more years." <laughs> how, how old is this woman? I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, you know she's got to be, you know, at least, at least in her 50s. 50s or yeah. something. Yeah, 40s. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. She must love her kid. That's all I yeah. got to say. Uh, so, Grodd didn't mind control the league. He simply pushed what was there to the surface. I really like that. Yeah. If it hadn't been for a certain accident he caused, I never would have gotten my new mental powers. That's why they broke up so easily. You willed them to. <laughs> Even my mind isn't that powerful. For months, I've been reading their body language and facial expressions like a book. They were holding back considerable resentment for each other. All I had to do was get those feelings to come out. I mean, he didn't, you know, he, he like he couldn't like outright control them, mm -hmm. but he could like. And I love his his uh, monologue about you know it's like if you ever said something that you shouldn't have and all that yeah. stuff. I mean, that's it's really great. Yeah. Uh, the one thug makes like a VP candidate Benson did back in 1988. I know Batman. I once ratted out a counterfeiter to Batman, and you're no, and then Flash drops him. So yeah. That, that was, <laughs> Flash was Dan Quayle in that, <laughs> that moment, yeah. So Flash says he can think faster than Sinestro. This is a power the Flash is sometimes said to have, but it's conveniently, conveniently forgotten 99% of the time. Right. I mean, you know, it's like, but if they, again, if they really use Flash's power to its potential, he would never need help from anybody. Right. I mean, he'd be just as much of a powerhouse as Superman. Yeah, maybe even more so. So, what did you think about Batman shooting Flash in the chest with his grapple? I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Catch. Yeah. It's like, whoa. And, and I love the, you overplayed your part, yo. Because, <laughs> 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 I mean, Flash is... A little broish, but he's not that broish, right? You know? But should a battering knock out Sinestro? I mean, he's glowing yellow, which means he has a force field of some kind around him, right? I mean, a battering knocks Sinestro back. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got the most powerful weapon in the universe, and a battering took him down. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's not even an explosive one; it's like a regular one. <laughs> So, but he wasn't expecting it either, so that might be more surprise on his end. I guess, but, I mean, the Batman's got one shtick. He throws batterings at people from a distance, you know? He's got, like, it's it's like playing a Batman video game. He just <laughs> took batterings, you know? <laughs> it's like endless supply, you know? So, I don't know. So, do you think the fl the real Flash sent the message to Batman? I don't know. I don't know if it was... That was an actual message, or was did it Clayface's the Flash? Because right. you got to think he's an actor, so you know. Right, exactly. But apparently, he overplayed his part. part yeah, yeah. So I thought that was funny too. Yeah, Matt Hagen is an actor. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting that Green Lantern considers the League the greatest fighting force in the universe. One for him, wouldn't that be the Green Lantern Corps? Mm -hmm. And two, that's very militaristic of him. Although I know he's an ex-Marine, it suits him to a point. But I, I think that might be. 
think they might be leaning into that too much, maybe a little bit. I don't know. That's just me. But so. You were asking too much. A little practice? That's too much to ask? You wanted us to stop being individuals. We're all just soldiers to you. Interchangeable. You don't care about us as people. That's not true. I care. You don't care about me. What are you talking about? I'd give my life for you. You don't know what you're saying. When he says he'd give his life for Hot Girl, she says, the way she says it too, it's like, you don't know what you're saying. I, do you think that's a hint at what's going to be revealed in Starcrossed? See, I wonder because, you know, he feels that way, but she's like, oh, you really shouldn't feel that way for me. You yeah, know? yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, we've been trying not to really spoil Starcrossed, but most of you know what it is, but we're not going to do it again. But, you know, if you know what Starcrossed is, then you... You yeah. can read into that line like, ooh, okay. So, I thought it was interesting. Again, Jean detects they have all been duped uh, by reading the thoughts of automated machine guns. I, <laughs> maybe he's reading the villains' minds that are there. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, but it just seems like he's like, it's almost like he's got spider sense instead of psychic ability, you know, yeah. which is weird, so... Man, Superman is extra surly in this one, isn't he? I mean, I sure hope it was Grodd pushing him into a bad mood because he's all like, I told you to get out of the way after he zapped Hot Girl. I know. It's like, geez, Superman, damn. Anybody smell fried chicken? Yeah. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> so we get Clayface acting as Jean during the fight, and after a few tussles, you really can't tell which one is which. No, uh-uh. Which is important, of course, for later. And then Gigana just tosses Superman around by the cape and then stomps on him. I mean, this fight is pretty brutal, but it's really well done. And the animation is better in the second part mm -hmm. for whatever reason. So um, so I will admit, I completely forgot that Jean had tricked them and assumed Clayface's appearance. So when they froze Jean, I thought it was him. Uh -huh. I forgot it. I hadn't seen this one in a while and I forgot the whole... Oh, I did too. I thought it was going to be something like... You know, in the like in the Incredibles, where um, oh, Violet suddenly is able to figure out how to um, get herself out of the oh, death yeah. trap at the end. I thought there was going to be one of them that had a power that said, you know, that yeah. what was happening, not that it was a different person, right? And they could use like like teamwork to get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah that that been cool. Yeah, but it was Jean all along. But why would he know Clayface? was once actor Matt Hagen. I guess he could have read his mind, I guess, so that would have made sense. But the one thing that I didn't understand, why did he ask Grodd about killing them now? What if he actually did it? I know. <laughs> Grodd was like, you know what, you're right. Let's just kill him. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's just like, oh, wait. Uh, it's like, <laughs> I, there's some parts in here we're getting we're getting into. And this. why didn't Grodd know that that was John? Well, I guess he used his. I mean, John has actual like psychic abilities. He, yeah. he could block you know him out. So if he knew he was messing with him, you know, he could block him out. So Green Lantern creates an energy decoy. Now he must have really been practicing with that ring because right. he's made two humanoid shapes in one story, mm -hmm. which is more than he's ever made throughout this whole series so far. So. So, if this is Jean, and it apparently is, why didn't he just hop up and go, ha-ha, right when Green Lantern showed up? There's two of them there together now. Yeah. Why not free them here and, you know, 
The episode is 22 minutes long. I know, but maybe attack Green Lantern to keep the others from killing him, but he's not. that's not a very good plan because he's about to endanger thousands of people at a football stadium. I know, they, they but were, I'm just saying. They were fighting in a mountain. They could have said, it's really me, Green Lantern, you know, and, they, and then they, you know, free the other guys. They kick their ass in that cave, and it's the end of the episode, you know. <laughs> but, again, they had 22 minutes to fill out. So, I mean, yeah, the football battle's cool, but at the same time, it's like, this is a really stupid plan, John. <laughs> so I'm guessing the pop singer, Jana Square, Squire, is supposed to be like Britney Spears around this oh, time. Oh, probably so. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, I love how she gets blown off the stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, the reveal is really cool that it's that it's Jean, but I'm not sure it totally holds up if you go back and watch it rest of the episode it doesn't it doesn't hold up to podcast scrutiny yeah which unfortunately is part of podcasting but what did you think about the little kid in the stands oh I, he is just like a little you <laughs> <laughs> i mean they focus they show the stands and they just zoom in zoom in there's this little kid that just goes get him yeah. <laughs> and he's got his hands up like you know, just and then they they then they all challenge of the super friends at each other. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, it's it's definitely it's definitely what it is. Yeah. Um. So so the fight is really is really well done. It's it's really well done. It's very epic. I, I love how Green Lantern impales Sinestro's construct Tiger. Although it's kind of weird that it looks like it's distressed and in, in, in yeah. injured, like it really dies. That's weird. I, it, I know. It, it's, it's like, you know, it's it's like, wow, is he actually like bringing it to life? It's Isn't it just, you know, hard light? It's not got a soul. Personality, I mean, yeah. is, is Sinestro a, like a method actor when he makes this? Maybe he's been hanging around Clayface a little bit. He picked up some acting chops. I don't know. Uh, Flash creating a vacuum that sucks all the air out from around Killer Frost. That's a neat mm-hmm. trick. And kind of... Kind of brutal for Flash, but I mean, this chick needs to be taken down quick because she goes for the jugular. You yeah. Know, so. You wouldn't hit a woman, would you? I would. I know you had to love Gigantus. You wouldn't hit a woman, would you? You play with the big boys, you play with the big boys. When Wonder Woman comes in, yeah. I will. Yep. <laughs> And then, you know, finally Wonder Woman gets to knock out Giganta, so that was nice. Uh, looks like Shade has a broken wrist after Superman takes that punch meant for Batman. Yep. And I love that exchange, too. That's like, you know, it's like, uh, I could have, and it's like, what? Thanks. Yep. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> uh, so I know Clayface probably isn't dead, but they just spread him from here to creation. I- I mean, I mean, that was brutal. Yeah, I mean, we never see him again, so I, I don't think so in the DCAU in the, anything on... And of the and of all of the society members, he was the least willing to do this. Right, I mean, you know, I mean, it's his whole story's... I mean, they really treat they really treat poor Clayface like crap in the yes. DC animated universe. He's, and that Clayface, the, the Feet of Clay two-parter is such a great, you know, episode, especially part two. So tragic. It's damn. But I love Grodd flicking Superman flicking Grodd through the through the goalpost. Yep. I mean it just it reminded me that's what I thought of the little the little triangle footballs yeah. you make in school and like somebody hold their fingers up and shoot them through it. Yep. And he's it, like, you know, feel the pain. I felt 
worst. <laughs> just <laughs> and again, shows Superman's not a wimp. You know, yep. it's like I can take it. You know, but man, the ending sure feels abrupt, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, for the first time ever, this really feels like they ran out of time. It, it feels like the guys were having so much fun, like staging these battles. Like, oh crap, we we got like two seconds to wrap the episode up in. <laughs> it's like an old Universal movie. Yeah, it was. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, there's all, all we can do is say we're sorry and move on. And it, that's it, literally. I mean, just yep. no scene in the Watchtower later where they're getting along better or they're practicing together better. or They've Something. got, they've got yeah. a danger room now where they can practice in theirs. You know, yeah, I think they could have sacrificed some of the fight scenes. To, yeah, or at least a little bit of it. A little them, bit you know? of it. I mean, the scene where Batman goes and talks to that dude in the hospital is pretty much unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, they could have scrapped that and, you know, so I don't know. This is just me being nitpicky, but yeah. So, uh, so for our superlatives this time, our features. Power action feature. What was your power action feature be? Wonder Woman punching Giganta. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is a good one. I would, it should be Jean's big reveal, but I, now I have too many problems with it. So I'm going to go with Superman flicking Grodd. That's mm. mine. But, but they're both, I think they both yeah. are great. So Rotating chairperson. Man, rotating chairperson is a really tough for this one because yeah. everybody's acting like a real jerk. I mean, you know, I know they were pushed under the influence, but I guess you could say Green Lantern, but he kind of drove everyone away. Right. So... I'm going to say let's go with Jean because he was the most personally affected. I also wonder if he wasn't more affected by it because he has been on Earth the shortest amount of time. Mm. Mm. Where, you know, so maybe his brain is wired a little bit differently. He doesn't know how to deal with these negative emotions. Yeah. Like humans are used to being gripey assholes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that could be, yeah. And I want to give it to Jean just because Carl Lumley is... Deserves all the praise for his portrayal on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I mean, that show's great, but he is fantastic on that show. Yeah. So, wow. Damn. What a, We watch, just watched episode five. Yeah. And God. Don't spoil. I'm not. I'm just this super, by the time everybody will have seen it by then, but I, I'm not going to spoil anything, but he is great in that show. So, and it, I think if I remember right, um, the Justice League cast was on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, late last year, and everybody but Conroy, Kim Conroy, who had been on there just a little bit before, and he mentioned something about a project he couldn't talk about, and I bet you that's what it was. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's cool. Justice League Communicator. So, Justice League Communicator, there are a lot of great, fun lines in this one, particularly between Shade and Giganta, uh, and Grodd had some good ones too, but I think. John's we meant every word that really clinched the theme of this episode right. you know. but again I'm, I think I'm going to circle back and you know put a flag on that one I think it's because John is John has only been on earth a limited number of years and mm-hmm. you know on Mars I don't think people um I get the feeling that on Mars that or the beings rather than people but the beings there weren't as two-faced as humans can be. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah. And well, I maybe think because they could all read each other's minds. They didn't, you know, they're like... There well, wasn't the subterfuge. There, yeah, there was no sense of, hiding. well, I don't really like her. You know, that yeah. type of stuff. All that back-talking and backbiting and everything. Yeah, yeah, good point. Comic connections. Comic connections. I don't think there are any specific comic connections other than the Secret Society of Supervillains being a team from the comics. But Grodd was once the leader of the Secret Society, 
and he, Gigana, and Sinestro were members of the Legion of Doom. There's definitely a bit of Super Friends vibe, but of course, it's in an episode where the League is less than friendly. Yeah. So that's, you know, they're going to do a Super Friends episode when they're not friends. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was clever. So. Electricity is evil. For Electricity is Evil, uh, Giganta gets shocked when she punches Edge's wall, but Clayface is constantly fried in this episode. Bless his heart. Yeah, so let's go with uh, when Batman zaps the Flash. Quote, unquote. Yeah, that was cool. So so what did you think of these two overall? Oh, I liked it, but like you said, I mean, it was too much of a quick wrap-up and stuff like that. And, but you have to figure, yes, these people have been portrayed as super friends and things like that, but especially when you have seven personality of people that are considered at the top, there's going to be personality conflicts. And that's something that, you know. It's it's just like, you know, it's like, it's literally like a, a all-star rock band, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all headliners. Right. And they all get together. And, yeah, the, you know, no, those groups never stay together very long. No. Because they, they eventually the egos just, you know, one, at least one person leaves and the original lineup's changed or something, you know. These super groups, as they call them. They don't stay together. So, yeah, that, that's a good point. I enjoyed watching these again, but I didn't enjoy the shows as much as I anticipated. I, I put this one above other two-parters this season, but I, I think there's just too many – there's just a few too many problems to put it like, like you know, the height of like Hereafter Last Time and Twilight and shows like that. It's, it's great to see the villains all together – it's great to see them go against the heroes. That's always fun. But the the actual story itself, and and it's just not. I mean, it's still great, entertaining, fun. But it's not one of the top ones that we've done. Right. It's still you know better than just about anything in season one. But it's not on the top of my season two so far. So yeah. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break, and we come back. We'll cover your listener feedback. Podcast Network is a collection of super friends plus shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's for all mankind, a super friends podcast, a read-through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run plus a few surprises. Hosted by me, Rob Kelly, and a rotating group of my super friends. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It all looks good to me. Okay, we're back. And we're going to cover feedback from episode 22, which was on Hereafter, as we said. Rob Kelly writes in, Like with Pirate Aquaman, Lobo is another example of a character I didn't think worked in the comics, but was great when converted into the JLU-verse. Brad Garrett does a great job with the voice, and the take on the characters is, in my honest opinion, not grating or tiresome. Great row, why didn't DC just turn over their comic line to Tim and company anyway? Uh, yeah, that's a good, that's a good, I, I have never understood that, why, why they didn't, but they didn't, and yay, we got what we got now, so anyway, <laughs> um, Ryan Daly, some guy that does podcasts, I know. wrote in, yeah, <laughs> he says, I like this story more than any version of the death of and return of Superman in comics, animation, or film. Mm-hmm. You know what, I do too. Yeah. So, yeah, I have not much more to say, but we just do. Mike Kramer writes in, This two-parter was always a big favorite of mine. I agree with you guys that Lois would not have melted against Lex like that. Very good. (laughs) On the other hand, there's one thing that bugs me. 
When it's all said and done in the Justice League now with Superman returned, as the world is restored in the far future, as it does, slowly, Savage slowly ceases to exist. He fades out. Why? He's an immortal. He would live to, in that time anyway, whether the world was destroyed around him or would have been saved and continued on its peaceful future, future that we see at the end. Well, I kind of took that. I think I, I haven't looked over what I responded for a while, but I, I took it as shit. He probably is still there, right. but he's not. He's in a version of Vandal Savage exists in that timeline, but not this version. Right. So this version went away. I mean, there there's other things like I, I still remember the the flash forward episode of the Flash. Where the two, you know, Flash returns from the future mm-hmm. and sees himself, and then they eventually like merge. Right. I always thought that was really cool. So the timeline corrects and they merge. Right. I, they could have done that here, but maybe that's what was happening. Maybe he was disappearing, and because there was already a Savage elsewhere. Right. So yeah. Uh, Natavni writes in, and if I pronounce your name uh, wrong, I apologize. Given that this is Mandel Savage's last appearance in televised DCAU continuity, it seems likely that whatever happened, it took him down permanently. There are so many extremely terrible things that can happen to someone who is incapable of dying. Waiting out the last several billion years between the time the oceans boil away and the sun consumes the planet is only one terrifying fate. Given the name drop of Ray Palmer and the Dwarf Star Matter mentioned, I'll lay an arcade token down on Savage wound up shrinking faster than anyone present could watch or follow, and no one ever found him again. Yeah, that's a pretty good fate for him to just, like, constantly shrink into mm. a subatomic universe, right. and he can't die, you know. Hmm. That'd, be pretty, that'd be pretty wild. Yeah, I, I kind of like that, so. Okay, and excuse me if I mispronounce this gentleman's name. Chris Ferrani? Thanks, Franklins, for another great episode. This episode of Justice League is easily one of my favorites and was so well done. I agree with all of your analysis and critiques. Cindy is definitely not wrong about Lois's interaction with Lex. This was my one gripe with the episode. See, everybody agrees with me. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> Some of my own thoughts on the episode. Batman's line to Weather Wizard about getting a strap for his controller made me think he's been hanging out with the Flash a little too much. Dare I say we saw a bit of lighthearted fun from the Dark Knight? Mm. Calabac tells Batman he just flattered Wonder Woman, but then Superman tells Calabac that he couldn't take Batman. So is Superman throwing some shade at Wonder Woman? Should she be hanging her head in shame that Calabac laid her out so easily? Hmm. Good question. Mm, it is a good question. <laughs> John's eulogy was very eloquent and touching. Every time I listen to it, I get chills. Chris, nice point about the fact that Jean delivering the usual eulogy as the other lone survivor of his race. I hadn't considered that aspect. Chris referenced that at that point, Batman was the only one who knew Superman was Clark Kent, but I believe that Jean also knew. I mean, he is telepathic and hence that he's read their minds on more than one occasion, so why wouldn't he know? Yeah, um, yeah, he probably, and I don't know where we did... It's according to air date or production order where Comfort and Joy falls into this and obviously went home with Clark to the Kent farm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he, he probably didn't know. Yeah. To Cindy's question about why no other alien civilizations or the Green Lantern Corps came to Earth, my answer is that they all wrote Earth off as a wasteland. Sure, there was life on it, but not intelligent life, save for the self-imprisoned Vandal Savage. And Vandal Savage did claim that his gravity invention threw off the gravitational balance for the entire solar system. So all other sentient races may have just decided Earth wasn't worth the time or effort. 
Thanks again for more great content, Franklins. I can't wait to hear your commentary on Secret Society. Well, thank you very much, and it was a pleasure to hear from you. We actually have quite a few. If We've heard from you before. I apologize, but I'm seeing a lot of names here that, that I are don't new, that are yeah. new. So thank you. That's great to have new new listeners or at least new commenters. If yeah. you've been listening for a while and haven't commented before, it's it really was it's really great. We had a lot of great feedback on this episode. Our pal Doug Vandiver wrote in, or whatever Doug's funny name was this time. Uh, this episode, we meet the Superman Revenge Squad marching band flag team doing their cheer and calling the roll, and I'm 100% here for it. Also, their matching PJs they wore to their sleepover, adorbs. Oh, dear. <laughs> I think they were Snuggies. Uh, hereafter is a masterful examination of Superman. Gives Superman some exciting challenges and nicely helps us better understand him while also fitting tightly to how we already understand the character. Good point. At the same time, because I nerd out so much over time travel, it's bugged me for years that one toy man, of all people, managed to accidentally whip up a time displacement zapper. Two, then making a time displacement zapper going the return direction was a task centuries in the making for the much more accomplished Vandal Savage. And three, despite knowing of Toy Man's invention, Savage did not, while dis discussing with Superman his own time doohickey, mention either incorporating Toy Man's stuff or ex expositing why he couldn't. And four, this guy had already used time travel, the Savage time, so it feels weird to have this episode unfold as if only uh, by the 321st century Savage finally completes a time machine. I'd have appreciated for one or two of these threads somehow to get tied together to make a great episode even better. You know, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, one, line, one line would have could have taken care of that. Yeah, that's, yeah. Good, good points, Doug. Uh, Liz Ann Oswald also wrote in, This was a fun show to watch and cool to see a Soups episode. Even though he lost his powers, he could still fight. Wasn't always the case in the comics. Glad to see Mike Dorn was back. He was pretty cool. Livewire, I'm okay with her not working. The character is fine, and Lori is a good actress. Liked her as Tank Girl. I met her at a con once. She was fine, not great. She moved around a lot t before taking the photo. Had to, like, move around in a circle. So her personality is, is on TV. She talked to the folks in the front of me for hours and just kind of did the photo for me and then moved on. She was okay. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. That's kind of... That's always disappointing when you have a less than spectacular interaction with somebody at a con. So. Right. Brian Linton writes in, With regards to Lois and Lex, don't underestimate the allure of a clean-shaven head. Mm. <laughs> also, it may have been a digression, but I agree with your praise for the new Superman and Lois series. I swear that I've seen interactions between my wife, myself, and our preteen daughter play out beat for beat on that show. Love it. Thanks for another great episode. Yeah, and then I went on a little bit of a mini a mini uh, rant uh, about how I like Lois and Superman and Lois, but I really do not like the the underage teenage drinking they have on that show. And I mean, in the most recent episode, they you know really went there, and mm -hmm. they just like uh, it's, you know it's like hand waving that stuff away is like that is a really bad message to send to kids who are watching this show, people. Uh, I'm sorry. I, that's my dad rant, and I'll shut up. Uh, <laughs> Symbol Pending wrote in to say, As always, I agree with Cindy with the whole Lois thing. The sad thing is that she could have decked Lex and then hugged one of the one of the League or the Kents. You could even have kept the Lex line, and it still would have worked just as well. But you know, everything else is so good, I'd forgive them. Though they need more Kara's. Because Cortez is a power girl person. Uh -huh. so, yeah. Clinton Robeson, Robeson writes in, 
Damn, Cindy. Tell us how you really feel about that Lois and Lex scene. Poor Chris getting hit not only on his vaccine arm, but on the same spot. Talk about taking one for the team or the podcast, as the case may be. Uh, suffer from my art. That's all I can say. Uh, Stephen Givens wrote in, I couldn't agree with you two more, Mr. and Mrs. Franklin. Hereafter is definitely one of the stronger episodes of the series. It is one of the best examples of the two-part format of seasons one and two being put to good use. While I have other episodes that are more of my personal favorites, I hold this one up as being technically the best of the series, as every aspect of the episode from the writing to the finished animation is firing on all cylinders. Just good storytelling in every way. Even if Lobo, a character for whom I don't give two figs, features prominently in it. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. Captain Entropy writes in, Thank you for covering this again. Dwayne McDuffie was a giant. This was simultaneously one of the best Superman stories and one of the best Justice League stories ever told. Batman came off pretty great, too. I'm going to admit up front that Mrs. Entropy, who doesn't usually go for bad boys, has a special appreciation for Vandal Savage in this. I, I'm, you know, I get it. I, you know, <laughs> It's some combo of the Phil Morris voice, the McDuffie script, and the DCAU model sheet. I just appreciate it when my competition is fictional. <laughs> I couldn't agree more on Lobo. He was funny at first, but when they added science fiction Pol Pot to Dude Bro on a space Harley, they lost me forever. I especially enjoyed your all's analysis on how Clark's farm boy roots helped him, as well as the mention of that great old action comic story that was part of the foundation for this. Please continue your never-ending battle to find joy and help us find ours, Franklin's. Well, we'll we'll continue to try. I'm glad you enjoyed this one, and yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, it's it's nice when your uh, your spouse likes the fictional characters, mm -hmm. but uh, you know the the when they're like visual actors playing fictional characters, like when Anthony Mackey he's like working out or shirtless on uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and your wife's all like, ooh, then yeah. well, come on, <laughs> he's a good looking man. He is a good looking man. <laughs> uh, special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For information on how you can report, sorry, uh, for information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit Patreon.com/slash/FWPodcast. Extra special thanks to Jorge Luis Castillo, Matt Ryan, and Neil Whitney for specifically supporting JLUcast. They are our rotating chairpersons. Yes, indeedy. So thank you guys, and we will be back next episode with Wild Card. See you then. Bye. Bye. Hey folks, Chris here, breaking in during the editing, well, after the editing actually, to add some exciting JLU-related news. DC has just announced a new digital-first comic series called Justice League Infinity, picking up where JLU and the DCAU in general left off. Much like the Batman The Adventures Continue series that launched last year, this book will be set in the continuity of the show and will be written by two folks who are no strangers to the series. Legendary Justice League International writer J.M.D. Mateus, who also penned several episodes of the JLU series, and Justice League, Justice League Unlimited producer James Tucker, who also spearheaded Batman, The Brave and the Bold animated series, and many of the direct-to-home media of DC movies of the past 15 years or so, among many other DC-related projects. The art will be by Ethan Beavers and Nick Filardi, and there will be covers by folks like Francis Manipole and Scott Hepburn. The digital series drops May 13th with the physical copies hitting in July. That's what I'm going after. Right now, it's said to be a seven-issue miniseries, but who knows? It may continue beyond that. That's just me speculating. Batman's animated book is returning next month as well. 
This is very exciting news as the first issue deals with the return of Amazo and the power vacuum left on Apocalypse after the events of the series finale, Destroyer. We may have to work in some coverage of this series on JLUcast. Very, very exciting news. Now back to the wrap-up. Oh, and I forgot to mention, of course, Ron Perlman was Orion in Twilight and will be Orion again. I can't believe I forgot that. I didn't realize it until I was editing. So now back to the rest of the show. JLU Cast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue mommy and daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at firewaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUcast. use the magic powder. Your thoughts are evil, and they will become more evil. Quiet, old fool! I know what I'm doing! 